All right, it's time to bring in Mark Leibovich here on Iron Sports, a journalist and author. You can check out his new book, Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. Um, Ira, what do you have for Mark? Mark, your book, The Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times, has been out for uh, over a year. Now the uh, paperback, I, you can go to the airport and see the paperback everywhere. And uh, I'd read it a oh, year ago. I actually just reread it this past week. And uh, it's one of the best books on the NFL, if not the best book I've ever read. Um, you really, you're a political oh, writer you. coming from a political sense in terms of covering politics in D.C. And you put that unique touch yeah. into looking at the NFL, which is, of course, the sports you like. So I think it's a great book for people that aren't really like sports, you know, watch every single NFL game. It's a good book for someone who's just is looking to understand the NFL who doesn't really follow it on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, First of all, thank you. I mean, I, I appreciate that very much. I mean, I, I think, you know, I am a football junkie, but as you mentioned, I mean, politics is my day job and, and I cover politics for, for the New York Times. So I, I was a little bit um, burned out on this. I've been covering uh, Washington for a long time and the last election was was pretty tiring. And, and I decided to take a, a year or so and to sort of do this safari into what the NFL is like. And, um, you know, for as familiar and as um, kind of ubiquitous as the NFL is to all of us, I and mean, everywhere you look, there's, you know, there's another jersey, there's another uh, hat or something like that. Uh, there, there's plenty we don't know about it, even though, you know, I spend way too much time, um, you know, boning up on stats and watching games and watching highlights and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mostly, you know, I, I wanted to have fun with it, and uh, I got more access than I thought I was going to get. So I think it all worked out really, uh, really well, and I'm glad I did it. Well, you, you interviewed many of the NFL owners, and you write in the book, uh, this is your quote, it goes, there's much about the membership uh, that is inadvertent, starting with who gets to join this freakish assembly. They are quite a bunch, old money and new, recovering drug addicts and born-again Christians and Orthodox Jews, sweethearts, criminals, and a fair number of dirty old men. So you, there's 100 U.S. senators, and there's 32 team owners. Uh, maybe some compare and contrast mm-hmm. between a U.S. senator and, and perhaps an NFL team owner? Oh, great question. Well, uh, let me tell you some compares, definitely. I mean, they're both really old. Many of them, they're, they're almost entirely men, in, certainly in the case of NFL owners. I mean, a couple of the uh, widows of longtime owners, like in um, you know, Chicago and, and I guess um, you know, New Orleans and a, bunch, a few other cities, you, you see that, Mrs. Ford in, in Detroit. But no, I mean, it's a lot of uh, aging white guys, basically. I mean, it's uh, it's representative of, of people who are largely, you know, large top percentile of wealth. Um, every NFL owner is pretty much a billionaire. Um, and quite a few senators are, I mean, I think there are very few senators who are not millionaires. I think all of them actually must be at least millionaires at, some, at this point. So, um I mean, covering them, there was there was some similarity between you sort of wait around as a reporter, waiting for them to come out from their endless meetings and their little sanctuaries. Um, but essentially, yeah, it's sort of the same um, profile and power and, and wealth and, and influence. And um, my job as a reporter has sort of been out on the sidelines sort of trying to press my nose up against the glass and trying to get as much as I, I could. And, and luckily for me, I mean, I... I saw quite a bit in my, my brief time at the league. So, Mark, there, Roger Goodell has a difficult task of sort of managing these 32 owners in terms of, and, and maybe give us some insights into him because you actually had a chance to meet with him and interview him, and, and also you tried to meet with him a number of times, and you got, he got one-off yeah. comments. 
uh, all the time with him. But talk a little about maybe some insights about Roger Goodell that we don't know just following the league on a day-to-day basis. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I think, first of all, I, I got more time with him than I thought. I mean, it did take some doing, as you mentioned. But um, eventually you sort of ask enough and you hang around enough, and, and he agreed to meet with me a couple times, once before the NFC Championship game a few years ago in um, in Carolina and, and once in his office in New York. I mean, essentially the most important part of Roger Goodell's job, if you're Roger Goodell, is making sure the 32-owner bosses – um, that he works with are happy with your job. And, and if they're satisfied and you keep them happy and you know what their concerns are and you call them to make them know that they're special, uh, they're going to feel pretty good about the job you're doing, it's, you know, especially if you keep them very, very rich. And the NFL is a cash cow. Uh, they're going to keep you in charge. And, and Roger Goodell has, has certainly angered quite a few of the people who are ostensibly his bosses uh, due to various you know, player discipline things. But um, he's been rewarded handsomely, and I think he'll he'll have that job for as long as he wants just because of the owners um, that, that are his bosses. He spends a lot of time keeping happy, and they don't take they don't turn over very often. So I don't know. I mean, I think he, he's a pretty – he's a politician, basically, um, and he's not a terribly you know, uh, interesting guy to interview, I would say, and I think he would be booed at the draft for as long as he keeps coming out to do the draft and would be booed in any number of NFL markets, if not all of them. But I think that that's you know secondary or even tertiary to how he views his job um, in terms of making the league money and keeping his bosses happy. Now you spent a good part of the book talking about the move to Los Angeles, the return to Los Angeles yeah. for the NFL. And I was just at the games two weeks ago. I went to the Charger game. I went to the 49er Ram game when most of the stadium at, uh, at the Coliseum was filled with Rams fans, or was 49er fans. Yeah. And then I went to the Charger game the same day. Steelers fan went in a 30,000-seat stadium, 22, 23, 4,000 of the fans <laughs> were Steelers fans. And next year, the, rich, yeah. the, the most expensive stadium ever constructed is going to open, uh, probably right. to a complete disaster, especially on the Charger side. Talk about the decision yeah. that, that led the NFL to put this, how the teams came back, and, and what do you think the NFL is going to do when maybe 10,000 fans show up for a game uh, at, the, at the new stadium? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the L.A. Um, sort of quandary has been like a hot issue around the league for a couple of decades um, because the fact is, I mean, L.A. Has, was without a team for, for about 25 years, and, and most people in L.A. were pretty okay with that. I mean, the fact is L.A., like Washington, D.C., where I live, and, you know, many parts of Florida um, and other parts of the country is filled with transplants. So, well, it is interesting. I mean, I think the Rams, I think there was some belief that of the three teams that were looking to move to L.A., the Rams made the most sense because the Raiders, you know, at least at the time, uh, were associated very much with Oakland um, and the other team that was thinking of moving the Chargers. Uh, you know, it, it was San Diego is a very supportive market for them. Um, they kind of belong in San Diego. They have very passionate fans, and it's not that far from L.A., um, so the L.A. Rams makes a certain amount of sense. The, the L.A. Chargers just from the beginning didn't, and the Rams don't want them there. seems like certainly the fans of San Diego didn't want them to leave, and the fans of Los Angeles, such as they are, don't seem to want them there at all, and we're seeing this reflected in uh, – what's the name of that stadium? It's got some weird name. It's like uh, – what's the name of that stadium where the Chargers are playing now? Help me out here. Um, hello? Yeah, Carson. Uh, yeah, so whatever it's – yeah, so it, it's not um, 
it's not a natural fit. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that sometime, if sometime in the next 10 years or so, the Chargers decide to, um, lo and behold, decide, you know, we belonged in San Diego the whole time and turn the moving vans around and go back to San Diego with their tails between their legs. But that's a lot easier said than done. And um, who knows? Maybe the stadium itself in Los Angeles will will sell plenty of tickets on their on its own because supposedly you know there's a lot of hype around it. But no, right now it's a very awkward situation and it's quite a weird spectacle. Um, although having said that, I'd like to watch a game in that stadium. It looks kind of interesting. <laughs> right, and so another another team, which, which is I mean, you, there's two teams close to your heart. You said you went to the University of Michigan, so you had a good week, but with the win over Notre Dame and the Patriots now are eight and zero. But you spent time talking to Bob Kraft, who, oh, you, you said he was, he used to be Bob Kraft, and now he's Robert Kraft, and then just RKK. He's now Robert. And yeah. then uh, time, talking to Tom Brady. So you've got an insight into the Patriots that a lot of people don't have. Um, talk a little about this late gate, and, and what was the need for the NFL? I mean, I've always been on the Patriots' side on that. I thought it was, should have been a fine. I don't understand why the, there had to be suspensions. They made such a big deal about it yeah. over the court. But talk a little about what you found out about what happened to this late gate and why the NFL kept pressing that issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that like a lot of things inside the NFL, it's, it's politics. And like I said before, I mean, there's nothing Roger Goodell can do that's more important than, than making the owners that pay his salary happy. And there's nothing the NFL owners love more than to seeing Robert Kraft and the New England Patriots getting a pound of flesh taken out of them as they certainly didn't deflate gate. I, I, you know, look, I, I should say by way of full disclosure, I, I grew up in New England. So I am, uh, yes, I'm unfortunately, I have the birthright of being one of those horrible Pats fans, uh, but I try to be one of the good ones. And um, I know that, you know, we've, we've, we've done well on the field, but, but I know everyone hates us. So I, I acknowledge that. I, I don't think, I thought that deflate gate was ridiculous. I think there's a lot more reasons people, for people to hate the Patriots for and Patriot fans for. But Deflategate, I mean, it was just sort of a minor equipment violation at best. There was nothing in the Wells report, which um, I read three times. Um, you know, it's probably like over 600 pages. Those are hours of my life I'll never get back. That that I saw it being particularly damning. Um, I certainly don't think Tom Brady deserved to have his reputation um, tarnished the way he did and to be suspended for six games and, and a loss of draft picks, you know, theoretically hurt the team. Although, you know, they keep going back to the Super Bowl. But look, I, I think that it was. I mean, the fact of the matter is, that the NFL sees itself as a reality show, and there was no bigger story in the NFL that winter and almost for a year and a half than that. And it was goofy, and it was silly, and there was a bad guy, and people were sort of set against each other. And it was a lot more pleasant for people who followed the NFL to focus on than domestic violence or concussions or things like that. So right. look, I, I think it was a much, much ado about nothing. I think they were treated unfairly and I know a lot of people aren't going to feel sorry for them or us. So, um, you know, I guess we'll just sort of move on. Yeah. And, and also now in the news, I guess this past week, um, Adam Schefter, who you uh, talk about in the book about with the, the, the nuggets of, of news that he gives out all the time, came out the bombshell that yeah. uh, Tom Brady is selling his house and he only has a year left on his contract or this is his final year, which that news has been out there for a while. And suddenly it's now, yeah. well, Tom Brady is going to either go to another team or he's going to retire or he's going to stay with the Patriots, which everyone has been going to the other team no one's talked about, but there's always that issue that he might retire. Yeah. So where do you, why is this, this past week become such a huge story? And secondly, what do you think, what's your, what's your opinion in terms of what Tom Brady is going to do in the next year? Yeah. 
I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, I think what's changed in the last week is that Adam Schefter weighed in and, and he has such a big, um, you know, he has such a big megaphone around the league. Uh, people tend to pay attention to him. He's also extremely close to, to Belichick and to a lesser degree Kraft. So, you know, he might be picking something up there. Although I read his report and I didn't really see anything based on any kind of recent sourcing. I mean, my, my sense with Tom and is that he, um, does want to keep his options open. He knows he's in a good situation, but he's also a Californian and New Yorker. I mean, he, he has a wife who operates on a global stage like he does. Um, I don't think he has any particular fondness for the New England area, except that, you know, he's obviously won a lot there and the organization, you know, it's been a great fit for them. But I think, look, I mean, the possibilities of him moving to another team, and I don't, I don't think he'll retire, by the way. I think he'll play as long as he's healthy because he's healthy. Um, but I think that there's not a lot of options for him. I mean, I guess Philip Rivers could retire in L.A. and he could go to L.A. Um, I mean, you hear a place maybe uh, – I mean, he's not going to go to the Jets and the Giants have a quarterback now. Um, you know, the Bears, you've heard thrown out. Um, yeah, I might as well throw this out too. And Miami, I mean, he, he does – I think he would look at certain cities, certain markets that have a, a certain global cachet that – you know, most NFL cities like, you know, Green Bay or, or Tennessee or, or places like that wouldn't. But having said that, I think it makes all kinds of sense for him to stay where he is. And, um, but I also don't think that he's, he is, uh, he's ready to sort of foreclose on any possibilities. Oh, wow. That's a, no, that's an interesting take on it. We're talking to Mark Levowitz, who's an author of The Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. Uh, another issue that was that you cover in the book in detail was uh, the whole with the political side of Goodell and the right. owners and the idea of kneeling with the, the Colin Kaepernick situation and how they were dealing with it. Um, I guess that's been covered a lot, but I just wanted to bring up a little about the NFL somehow got criticized. When this whole situation was going on, they were getting criticized by, by the NBA, by a lot of other people saying, well, the NBA does it right. Everybody stands. They don't have any issues. The NFL, you have all the issues. You have all the problems. But then the NFL, the NBA runs into problem with China in terms of their right. political issues uh, and having issues, and and, and it's almost like it, people in the NFL were saying, well, you know, look, you're throwing you were throwing your stones at us all the time, but it's not right. really fair. How is the NFL as they try to get that 25 billion and go into these markets? How are they going to think attempt the international growth, uh, which they're doing in England and Mexico, that, to not run into the yeah. same problems that the NBA is running into? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I guess in some ways the NBA, and, and I agree, they, they certainly seem to botch this in ways that the NBA doesn't typically do. Um, but the NBA also has a luxury in that they're huge in China, and the NFL would love to be huge in places like China. I mean, as, as you alluded to, um, the growth potential for the NFL overseas is quite limited. I mean, like you said, Great Britain and, and Mexico are the two places that they seem to have any kind of foothold whatsoever, and even there, at least certainly in England, it's, it's a bit of a curiosity. I and mean, I think the appeal for the NFL is, is real over there. But, um, you know, when you start going further um, east, you know, to, to Germany and France, it's, it gets a little bit dicey. So, look, the, the NFL is an American sport. I mean, part of the appeal of it is it, it's a perfect um, sort of fit for the American psyche. And it's largely – it's typically been a pretty conservative sport. I mean, the fans have been – mostly pretty conservative, um, you know, largely white and, and it's a much kind of more suburban and almost rural group of, 
of fans um, and players, actually, than you would find in the NBA um, in the markets that they appeal to. So I think that there was a lot more um, sort of concern around the Colin Kaepernick issue, especially when, when Donald Trump weighed in, that they were going to lose the sort of predominantly conservative strain of the American culture that, that they had a real stranglehold on. I mean, it turns out it didn't have any really long-term lasting effects because football is just a beloved spectacle in America. But I do think that the politics are changing. I think that, that there are a lot of people, especially in suburbs and cities on the coasts that are kind of sick of, of sort of football and, and just sort of having to, to think about head injuries and, and, you know, a lot of the other sort of uncomfortable dynamics um, inherent to the game that you don't see in the NBA. But look, I think as the NBA China thing proved, um, there's nothing uncomplicated about any of these things, especially when you're trying to um, appeal to diverse or even global markets. Right. And then one of the issues that you, again, you cover in the book is so many different issues. It's a, it's a great, great, phenomenal read. But the point yeah. about uh, how when Roger Goodell came in, he wanted to be the enforcer, protecting the shield. And suddenly now when right. we hear, I mean, it used to be under Tackle and Roselle, if you're not in jail, you're playing football. That's, there's no requirement. We're not really right. going to look into anything, what you're doing in the rest of your life. And now if something right. happens off the field, we wonder, is it a two-game suspension, a four-game suspension, a six or an eight? Right. And it becomes this whole issue about the suspensions. Talk about, and then it, it's right. somehow with the Ray Rice situation caused Goodell all these problems. So talk about how the NFL has dealt with these problems to go in the past, but actually how they're going to deal with it in the future. And is it, are, we, are we in the normal now where something happens and we're just going to have to estimate what something is going to be in terms of suspensions? Yeah, I mean, I think it varies. I mean, Tagliabue had this expression back when he was commissioner, which was all that ends well ends, which is he liked to sort of sweep scandals under the rug. He, he didn't like to talk about uncomfortable things, whether it was concussions or so forth. And I think Goodell left to his devices wouldn't want to either. But look, I mean, Goodell has picked a lot of fights. I mean, a lot of these player discipline things, you know, whether it's Brady or Ray Rice or Adrian Peterson or, you know, I guess Zeke Elliott last year. I mean, go down the list. Um, th these are things that are going to alienate certain markets of the country in pretty significant ways. Um, but they also, I guess, on the other side of that, is it creates interest. I mean, sometimes, remember Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, said this to me. He said, you know, sometimes even when it seems like negative attention, at least people are talking about you. And he, he was talking about the flake gate. He said, you know, I thought after about a year of this, people would be sick of it and it would reflect poorly on the brand. But look at our ratings. It just shot everything up. And it's true. I mean, if you sort of think of the NFL in terms of a reality show, um, not unlike in some ways how you think of the Trump White House in terms of a reality show. It starts to make more sense. But now, look, I mean, Roger Goodell is, is never going to be beloved by, by the fans or the players, I don't think. I think that's going to be even more so as they head into a collective bargaining um, negotiation over the next year or so. But, I, again, it's sort of been baked into the cake, in which we now sort of expect that to be part of the off-field drama uh, keeps things interesting in the off season, and you know it's part of the reason why so many people have an opinion on the NFL. Well, we're thank you. We're talk, we've talked to, with Mark Levowitz, uh, the author of the Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times. You also were a writer of the author of the This Town, which is about Washington D.C. So I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you'll see find this book. I mean, I still I travel a lot in airports, and it's in almost every bookstore anywhere you go. So it's great, and, and again, it's, it's a hear. perfect book for somebody. 
that is not a day-to-day follower. It's great for the day-to-day follower of the NFL, but also for someone who's just sort of casually follows the league and says, I want to read about the NFL. And, and the way you write and the stories you tell, it's just a great read. And I, I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. Well, and t- thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for, you know, thanks for having me on. And I uh, hope the Dolphins win tonight.